What I really want to speak about is essentially what we've been doing this weekend already and what it means to continue to engage in the same spirit in our lives. But the first thing I want to mention that's really important to be aware of at this point in our retreat is we've been here together in a very particular and very focused way. And although for, in some ways, not that long of an amount of time, quantitatively, it's just, you know, just over a couple of days, really. Um, Maybe not even that. 48 hours since we arrived, I guess, on Saturday afternoon, uh, Friday afternoon. And yet, qualitatively, it's been a very full time. It's been a very wholehearted engagement and uh, very uh, wonderful sense of uh, application to the to the practice from you all. And part of the effect of that is that it actually can work within us considerably more change than we've maybe even noticed. We can certainly become much more open and sensitive than we even are aware of in the process of the practice, though we may be aware of it to some degree. And so you may have got a little bit of a sense of that and what it was like for you just now to be speaking during lunchtime and the sort of the enthusiastic bubble or sort of a bubbling conversation that starts to become a little bit more like a sort of a, a tidal wave of uh, enthusiasm and uh, volume at times. Unfortunately, the dining room's a little small for 40 or 50 people to have a conversation without it getting a bit loud. But we might notice the, the impact of that, that we've been in a relatively rarefied space together. And in shifting from that into whatever comes next for you, it's important that you be really sensitive, that you be respectful to yourself in ways that we've sought to encourage and to cultivate for ourselves here, to really listen and see what feels useful and appropriate as an expression of kindness to oneself, being attentive to what it is that we can usefully engage with and where it might be that it's helpful or supportive to just say, that's enough for now. Or I'll just take a step back in this moment. So that in the, uh, the journey on from here, you may be getting in your car and driving or getting a taxi to the station and um, a train. And uh, some of you might be even sort of getting in a plane sometime soon, although all the planes are rather messed up at the moment because the uh, air traffic control um, phone system went down sometimes yesterday and Maybe that won't affect you, and maybe it will, but just in case, if you do have a flight coming, um, and I just saw on the news, you would probably want to check if it's still going. Um, or maybe someone else will warn you about that when you get there, but probably will be sorted out by tomorrow. But if you're flying anywhere today, who knows what will happen. I wish you luck. <laughs> but um, I hope I didn't alarm anyone there, because I think it will happen eventually if you are flying. Um, but we, we go out into a world where we, we make journeys. And uh, that sense of moving through our lives, just as we've moved through the days of this retreat, maybe going home, going on to workplaces, going on to other activities, social, and uh, whatever related. And that there's a real importance for us of giving attention to the the possibility we have to notice what it's like for me and see what's useful. And one of the primary themes of the retreat, and really the primary theme, has been this turning towards our capacity for kindness, 
for ourselves and towards others. This in itself isn't the only skill that we need to cultivate in life, and I'm not suggesting at all that just uh, practicing loving-kindness meditation in this way will resolve all difficulties or address all issues in life. And yet it's certainly something that can contribute to the resolution and lubricate the challenge of many situations. And with that, what has supported us, what has supported you here in being able to connect with a sense of caring, of friendliness, in terms of having that sense of intentional orientation. So often it seems that the the pressure and busyness of many, many things in life, or maybe good things, useful things, important things, overwhelms us and leads to our choices being made in response to that which calls the loudest. And lots of things call pretty loud, as soon as they shout if we don't listen to them, or grab us, grab us and shake us if we don't do what they want. And yet those things that call the loudest are not always those things that are most important. Coming on a retreat doesn't necessarily call very loudly. Sometimes it's more like a whisper that says, maybe a little quiet time might be good. Maybe just a little bit less might be better than a little bit more. And so learning to listen to the quieter voices within us and the choices that we make and the, the, the really challenging decisions about what to prioritize in life. We can't do everything. Sadly, perhaps, or maybe fortunately. We can't do everything. But making space for ourselves to connect with, to cultivate that which we value, this is essential. This isn't something optional, like, I'll do this if I've got some time free by good fortune, there happens to be a window in my life, then I'll engage in taking care of my heart. Then I'll engage in finding some space in my life. No. If we do that, things tend to pour in and fill it up. So if you've noticed that it's been useful, that it's been beneficial for you to take this time out, pay attention to that. Notice that and perhaps mark that for something of a, you know, further attention. So much is gained in life. By just pausing. Just taking a moment to to connect with where we are. And to check in and see what's possible for me in this moment. What could I bring forth from my heart right here? What might loving kindness say about this situation? As opposed to what my boss might say or my partner might say or my parents used to say or my parents still say. Or the guys on the television say. All of which may have not necessarily a great deal to, get, to do with what brings deeper happiness and well-being. But it might be much more to do with what serves other people's comfort. Or what serves the, the ongoing sort of relentless momentum of our culture that is accelerating faster and faster to try and get something which we might call happiness. And yet in the speed and the acceleration it's getting harder and harder for more and more people, to really feel nourished and well. I'm not pointing that as a pointing of a finger at anyone. It's the tendency of the human mind, harnessed to the remarkable capacity of modern technology that comes out of the human mind, that means everything just goes faster. 
And human beings don't seem happier as a result. Really, they don't. Not to me, anyway. Not from what I see in the newspaper or hear talking to people. And yet we have within us, if we choose, if we prioritize us, the capacity as human beings to really bring forth that which supports happiness, that which supports the deeper, the real well-being of the human heart. And yet this takes some commitment, this takes some dedication. It's not that there's some kind of fairy godmother or fairy Buddha mother who's going to wave a magic wand and poof, it's all sorted out for us. And so it requires some degree of choosing what is most important. And I can't tell you, for you, what's most important. I actually don't know. Actually, nobody can really tell us except that quieter, we could say deeper part of ourselves that when we give it space and when we allow ourselves to feel more deeply, we start to hear the resonance, we start to feel the intimations of our deeper wisdom, of our deeper heart which isn't so buffeted by the winds of social pressure, of cultural convention, of what everybody else is doing. And this takes some courage, but it is not by a long way, it is not impossible for us to live a life that is wholesome and rich and full with good things. So although the retreat is ending, that which has comprised the retreat, we cannot keep hold of that. We're not going to be able to stay here. Some may be staying for some time ongoing personal retreat here. Others of you, most of you, in fact, will be leaving probably within the next hour or so. Some have already gone, it would appear. Or maybe they just didn't come along and decided to stay in a comfortable chair in the lounge with a cup of tea. Who knows, maybe they were smarter. But we can't take this retreat with us. We can't keep hold of the circumstance, powerful, as useful, as important as it may have felt for us. And yet what it is that created that potency, we can find other ways to bring that into our life. And we can, of course, make our way back to such situations as this. They're one of the real resources in life for us that is more and more available these days is to come together with other people who share an interest in exploring who share an interest in deepening the capacity of the heart for peace, for happiness, for kindness, for freedom and in retreats such as this which are more and more happening around the country, around the world and certainly ongoingly here at Gaia House from one week to the next So retreats are wonderful, incredibly useful and beneficial. Something to keep coming back to and something to, if you can, make more space for in your life. And if you can't, find the space you have got and make use of that. But even though we let it go, what it is that has made it, the primary orientations within it, we can bring into our life more and more fully. And so with that, that, that primary intention, I said, of taking some space, of stepping out of the normal busyness, stress and pressure of our life. Taking some time on a regular basis, every day if you can, twice a day if it's possible, to be quiet, to be still, to do some practice, loving kindness, meditation, 
other meditation practices or forms you may know and have. It's so important that we do that. It may not be that we'll have the same experience as we might in the context of a retreat where there's so many supportive conditions gathered together around us. But nonetheless, there's something really transformative and and nourishing about just saying, I'm going to do this because it's important to me, because it makes a difference for my heart. Just to take a little bit of time every day to wish well for oneself, for others, for those we care for, for and are close to, and equally those who we don't know, or those who we're not close to at all. To remember our shared humanity, and to allow the the natural love of our hearts, its expression in this world. And one way is in that, just taking some time for meditation. The time will never come to you, unless you're a remarkably fortunate individual. You'll mostly have to make it, by elbowing other things out of the way. In a gentle and kind way, of course. If we say something is important, we can include it. It might mean something else has to go. Maybe a little of that extra time cuddling under the duvet. When we're not longer sleeping, but it just looks like it's a bit cold out there. We'd rather stay snuggled under. That could be maybe more usefully employed. Or if we are going to stay under the duvet, okay, but let's do some practice here. Let's wish warm coziness for all beings. You know? Because that's probably something beings would like. Or just letting go of some of the time you might spend in front of a screen or a newspaper or engage in something else that doesn't really quite uplift us. Letting go is one of the primary skills and arts of any spiritual practice. Letting go of what's habitual, familiar, sometimes of what's comfortable, in order to, as I think for many of you have seen, it's, it's not so comfortable to, to turn towards this capacity for loving kindness, to feel the places where it's not easy for us, or the place where it isn't what we experienced. And there may be sorrow or grief or pain or numbness. And although it's not comfortable, we might not, in a sense, sort of like it, there's something in us maybe that knows, that deeper, quieter knowing, that recognises actually this is useful. This is wholesome. I hope that's some of your experience and that the reason you're still here is because that's what you see for yourself rather than because they said at the beginning you can't leave till the end and you're only here because of that. I really hope that's true. And I know how hard it is to do what we've been doing. For a weekend, for 20 minutes, or for whatever period we might do it. And I've spent weeks doing this practice, just day in, day out. And it's remarkable and beautiful. And so that sense of making space for what's important, that's a primary thing. What also has created this retreat here has been the the recognizing of wholesome intentions and supporting them. Seeing we have we may have many actually wholesome intentions. Any intention that's to do with the opening, the freeing, the lubricating of the heart, taking care of our lives, and equally taking care of other people in their lives, 
in ways that don't undermine our own well-being or the well-being of others. These are wholesome intentions coming from kindness, coming from love, from friendliness, from care, finding ways to express them in the world. And one of the fundamental ways that really makes a difference is, as I spoke about on the opening evening, the precepts. Making a commitment in your life to refrain from causing harm so far as you can is so important. Such a gift to this world and such a gift to ourself. Not to make some kind of idealised sort of absolute thing of I shall never cause any harm to any being ever again and if I do, you know, I don't know what, I'll, you know, hit myself on the head because of course that would be hurting a human being, it would be hurting someone. Or I'll punish myself or I'll make, you know, do something, make myself bad or wrong. It's like, no, we can't help having an impact in the world. But knowing that to be the case, doing what we can to minimise it. And when we can't, letting yourself feel what that's like. This is so important. So important. And what I mean by that is that sometimes we realise we make choices, either for our convenience or for what we perceive to be the greater good. And simple one for myself is, I get in my car sometimes and go places. I do it quite often. I know that when I get in my car, A, I'm almost for certain going to kill some living creatures because I find them on the front of the car regularly. And I know some of the times when I get in my car, I could get on my bicycle, but it will take me longer. I might get cold. I'll certainly get sweaty. And I could get run over, but it's not that likely, that, that latter. But for all those reasons, sometimes I get in the car rather than the bicycle when I could ride it. And what I try and do in those occasions is to actually stop and feel what that means for me. That actually I'm making a choice for my convenience that's got a cost associated with it. And it's also got a cost for this planet. Because as soon as I start burning up that fossil fuel in the tank, I'm contributing to something that's really undermining the the balance and stability of of our ecology, of our whole planet's survival capacity. And yet I still do it. And how does one hold that contradiction? I think we have to see that in those places where we can't necessarily always prevent our action causing harm, we have to have compassion for ourselves. Because the intention isn't to cause harm. I'm not getting in the car to cause harm. I'm getting in the car because I want to come and teach this retreat or I need to go and get some shopping or visit a friend or whatever it might be. And understanding that's my intention. But yet, on the side of it, is this happening? To let oneself feel that and to process that really helps make those choices authentic and skillful. And to say, and to help me at times be able to say, actually, no, I won't do that. It would be more convenient. But this time I can and I will make the other choice that's more, less convenient, that's maybe more uncomfortable for me. And there's a kind of cleanness in that. The Buddha spoke about living by the precepts as creating the conditions for living a life that is without regret. That's not to say we don't have remorse for those things that we've done that have caused harm. But that there's, a, a, there's a, an, an absence of regret in one's life when we know we've done what we could. And that when we've come up to our limits, where we couldn't anymore prioritise the welfare of another, we realise that that's where we need compassion and kindness for ourselves. Because the only way that you or I could live in this world without impacting any other beings 
is to actually not exist. Just taking food. If we're going to eat food, it's going to have to be grown. And it's going to either involve living creatures or even if it's simply vegetables, that's going to involve living creatures, growing vegetables. It does. And so we see the only way we could have no impact on this world is to have an impact here, which will have an impact on the world. There isn't any way out of that. What's important is that we equally care for and value those other lives and all of life, in fact, as we value this. The teachings of the Buddha are not saying we disregard the value of this being to look after those beings. That would be as out of balance as saying, well, we should disregard all those beings and just look after this being, which is kind of the subtext of a lot of you know, modern Western materialist culture. Just get as much for me as I can and hope that everyone else will manage to as well. But both of those are out of balance. The balance comes from seeing that if we hold every being, all beings, ourselves and each other, together in our hearts, and out of that we find the responses that are appropriate. Sometimes we say, okay, yeah, I'll let go of my priority for that which another might need. And other times, actually, what I need will be the priority, and that other will have to wait or won't be met. And there's no absolute right or wrong in this. But what there is in the sensitivity of the heart is feeling what it's like. Being able to honour oneself when we can let go of our priority for another. But also having compassion for our limitations when we can't. Or when we choose not to because perhaps it's skillful. Because we need to honour something of our own needs at times. We really do. And sometimes that's our gift to the world. So, so the precepts are a vehicle here for just looking at action, looking at our behaviour in the realm of causing harm, in the realm of material things, in the realm of sexuality, in the realm of speech, in the realm of sort of material substances, and I would say sort of other forms of intoxicants. What are we doing here? What are the choices we're making? Because this intention for not causing harm, this is at the heart of it. This comes out of our deepest understanding of the preciousness of life, the interconnectedness of life. (coughs) And that if we wish to honour that in ourselves, we need to honour it around us too. If we wish to know it in ourselves, we need to honour it and see it around us equally. And I don't know how it's been for you over these days sitting. I've heard some from most of you, not all, and, you know, little bits and pieces that lead me to have a sense that probably it's been, on the whole, something useful, wholesome, beneficial. And I really hope that's so. And yet, for yourselves, you also have your own sense of how it's been here. What it's been like and how, you know, one can feel oneself in a very different relationship to a group of people at the end of two days than one was when one arrived. And how the sense of a bunch of, you know, kind of random strangers mostly, turns very quickly and easily into a field of sensitivity, of warmth, of friendliness, of kindness, of sense of connection, even though we don't know their names or where they come from, even though we might know exactly what kind of slippers they wear and you know, whether they're likely to turn up at the front of the lunch queue. We see these things in the silence together. The capacity for connection is very strong in us. The draw, the urge, the call towards it is unstoppable in us. But it generally requires some safety. 
And that intention in the precepts creates a big part of the safety for us all. Not just between each other, because I think, well, I think they've taken the precepts, so probably they won't steal my cushion when I'm not, you know, I don't have to carry my, it's a really nice cushion, I don't want anyone to get away with it, so, I mean, I wouldn't leave my cushion in the middle of London somewhere and expect it to still be there, you know, but here, I leave it here and I really am confident it's going to be there. I've been doing this for years. I got these cushion covers in India, I would really not like to lose them, you know. I'm not entirely attached, but, um, <laughs> but it's just a small thing. It's just a small thing. And yet, it makes such a difference. Now, in the world, we can't, of course, have that confidence and trust that other people will necessarily act in that spirit and with that intention. Although the truth is, many, many people are doing their best too, in their own way. For all that there are those who are not, actually the majority of people essentially oriented towards wholesome activity, so far as they're able. But by making that commitment internally, we create an inner safety. Because the deeper safety comes from an inner confidence that whatever happens, so far as is possible for me, I will not resort to casual or careless violence or harming or disregarding the needs of others. It's not selfish to take care of one's own needs, to prioritize them sometimes. That's not selfishness. And when we make a commitment to generosity, it's not saying, I'm going to give everything I have away. The, the precept of, of not taking that which isn't freely given is in one sense refraining from what we call theft, which is probably going to be, you know, most of what most of us do most of the time. It's not probably the kind of tendency we have, though. You know, I remember pinching sweets from this local corner store when I was a kid, so I can't say it's outside of my experience. I'll just confess that on tape, you know, gosh. <laughs> I'm not sure that was a good idea, but there we are, I have. Um, and, that, and so we, we see that, there's that, that, that maybe other people don't have that commitment and we need to therefore be skillful, appropriate, you know, not leave our precious meditation cushions lying around somewhere in London where someone might pick them up and use them for football or gosh knows what. But inwardly, there's a safety. that It says, okay, when I come to those places of choice, there's a line that I won't cross. That I'll say, no, actually, not for my convenience, not for my comfort, not for my simple preference or personal advancement, will I actively engage in causing harm to another or make choices that cause greater harm than I can possibly avoid. There's something in the heart can rest with that. And, you know, we're not perfect. I try and buy organic food and sometimes I look at the price and think, I can't pay that much. And so I don't. And truth is, probably I could have paid that much. I just wouldn't have some money for something really sweet and yummy but absolutely inorganic that I'm going to buy at the corner store. I'm not going to pinch it, I'm going to buy it. But in that sense, I could say, no, spend more on your organic veg because that's something I believe in. Not putting more chemicals into the planet, not putting more into my body and supporting people who work to produce food in that way feels like it's worth it spending more on something like that. And if that means having a bit less of something else, it's worth it. So there's, there's that sense of a, maybe a template there for orienting our life in small ways and small gestures. It might be that we have the opportunity to really make a big difference in this world. And as I'm imagining you all know, 
Nelson Mandela died just before this retreat began. Came to the end of his life. And a long and full and incredibly powerful life it was. And there are these amazing beings in this world who've had such remarkable impact in it. Transforming it for the better. With incredible courage. And incredible expressions of forgiveness. And willingness to work with people who've done horrific things. And we see in those examples a sense of what's possible for us. It doesn't mean that we ourselves have to go out and change the world. But we might be able to make a difference in our own little community. We might be able to do something that makes a difference in the world. And so far as we can, give support to that which expresses that sense of caring for others. That sense of protecting against harm. Whether it be supporting sort of international organizations that are working for ecology or against um, the uh, exploitation or the uh, incarceration or sort of the harming of human beings in so many different ways that happens. Or whether just uh, finding small ways to, to express what you love in conversations when, you know, sometimes people say things and it expresses some kind of prejudice. And we just don't say anything in response. Happened to me recently in a taxi. And talking with my wife, I was just sort of thinking, it's, it's hard, isn't it? The guy seemed kind of angry. He was a taxi driver. You know, he was in charge of getting us where we were trying to go in the sense of, you know, I kind of questioned what he said, but I didn't really say to him, actually, that's not okay. And after I think, hmm, I could have done. Maybe the next time I will. I'll have to wait and see. We have many opportunities like that just to see what's possible for us. To live our life as an expression of what we value. Of what we love, of what we care for. That's what embeds it in our heart. Making those sometimes challenging choices to say, actually this is what I want to stand for. This is what I want to live for. This is what gives meaning to our lives. Caring for our families or our loved ones is part of that. Caring in our communities. Caring in our planet and for our planet. This is part of that. Finding ways. This is part of the practice of loving kindness. This world so needs your hearts to be open, to be engaged. Just as much as we ourselves need our hearts to be open to be engaged. And you know it makes absolute sense that would be so because we in this world are not separate. All beings living and breathing together, the same air, walking on the same soil, drinking the same water. You know, the water that we're drinking has passed through the bodies of many other beings on the way to our glass. The air that we're breathing has passed through the bodies of many other beings on the way to our lungs. How could it not be that it would need us to care for it all in order to care for any part of it? How could we imagine that just taking care of this little bit over here and not caring about the rest of it would somehow work? Now, I'm not imagining I need to convince you about this because 
I'm suspecting that you're here because you have some real understanding of that. And yet so easily it seems in the world that gets lost. And in a very quiet way, I'm not suggesting getting out there with banners and placards, though that might be your pathway, and it's a valid pathway, but being an ambassador for love and kindness, being a representative of tolerance, of forgiveness, while at the same time being a, a courageous representative of being able to say, actually no, as I've mentioned a couple of times, and that sort of scenario with the taxi, it was a really interesting one for me, because it's like, actually, I didn't quite manage to say no to what was being expressed. And uh, for those of us who have the relative privilege and good fortune of these modern Western circumstances, that's one of the responsibilities that comes with it, it seems to me. To speak up on behalf of those with less fortune, privilege and power. And there are many of those in this world. So what's also really important is that you nourish yourself. That you find ways to nourish yourself. Coming on retreats can be nourishing. Spending time with other people can be nourishing. Engaging in whatever activities touch your heart, whether it's being outdoors in the natural world, which for me is one of the central sort of survival necessities of my heart. My body seems to be able to live without it, but what's inside doesn't cope very well if I can't get time outdoors just somehow it touches me for other people it's music or it's art or it's movement or it's creative expressions um, in many different forms there are many wonderful and beautiful and profound spiritual traditions not just the range within the the Buddhist um, community but equally outside it in many other places and ways within Christianity Islam Hinduism and many more besides. To see and to look for, to seek out the goodness and the the ways in which people are finding their own expression of what is wholesome and beautiful and have contact with them. Give support to others. Just as we need support, so do they. And so seeking out other people, we talk about like-minded or like-hearted people. People who care. They're all over the place, actually. But often it requires someone to have the courage to begin to speak about what they really care about. And there'll be some people, of course, who won't like that and they'll attempt to quiet it down or turn off. But there will be others who will be interested to hear, interested to share, glad that someone started that topic. In almost any situation. It's really interesting. I worked for a few years in a pretty high-powered law firm after I finished university in New Zealand. And I quit because it was pretty clear to me that I wasn't happy and I wasn't getting happy and neither was anyone else around me from doing what we were doing, although pretty much everyone was seemed to get powerful and rich. And when I spoke about leaving and the reason why I was leaving, 90% of the people in the law firm just scoffed and, you know, don't tell me about that. And, you know, of probably two or 300 people, I thought I was the only one who cared about anything like this. And I was really touched that a number of people came to me and said, well, I'm really glad you said that, that you didn't just quit and disappear. 
And it really struck me. I would never have known they were here. I should have said that before I quit. Maybe I would have had a whole lot of friends in this place and might have done a whole different thing with my life. I'm not complaining about my life, but it's really interesting. We don't know who's there unless we step up. And what I've seen time and time again is that if I have the courage to speak what's true for me, not to tell other people they have to agree or blame them for their different view, because there are different views, but if I have the courage to do that, I run into other people who are also trying to live what's true and discover what's even truer or deeper in life. And in the times in my life when I didn't manage to do that, I didn't find those other people. It's quite a simple thing. Part of you coming here is you expressing that. Whether you realised you were doing it or not, that's part of what you've done in coming here. And here are other people doing the same. You are not on your own in your care, in your love, in your concern. You are in good company, really. And it's so important that we let ourselves know that, that we remind ourselves and each other of that again and again. Because the messages coming in from the world will tend to convince us otherwise so much of the time. And we need to actually take care of our hearts in this world. As an example of that, um, I was really struck recently when teaching in America to hear of a piece of research they'd done with um, children aged between, I think, about 7 and 10 or 12. And they were wondering how to sort of really help with the, the, the shift towards incredibly unhealthy eating patterns and, and the, the width and breadth of American culture. And so they just did some surveys about what the kids were hearing. And they assessed how much time they spent plugged into the, the media of um, you know, computers, television, and all of that. And they worked out that every child, given the average amount of time that a child of those ages spent in front of or connected to that kind of media, they would be receiving every year 10,000 messages suggesting that they should be eating in ways and things which are really going to be bad for their health. 10,000 messages. And then they worked out, obvious piece of math, that if the parents of those children at every meal time, three times a day, gave them a message about healthy eating, they'd get 1,000 messages a year. And you realise the scale of the problem. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, it's shocking. It's shocking. And that's just in relationship to that kind of area of our lives. So we need to support ourselves, to not be carried by that stream that is really, you know, greed and fear and blindness that's been amplified and accelerated and kind of nationalised somehow. But it isn't how we have to live our lives. And with each other's support and with our support for each other, we can live a life that is wholesome, that is beautiful, that is noble, and that really contributes to the well-being of all of life. And I really wish and hope for you all that that can be a significant part of your own journey, your own life. There'll be more to it than that, I'm sure. But if we place what's most important at the centre, other things will find their place. If we try and sort of somehow find somewhere on the side for it to go, it won't always find its place. So it's really about what we 
in our hearts believe to be most important. And I really encourage and support you in your own exploring and your own discovering of what is true for you. I'm not trying to tell you what that is. I hope it doesn't sound that way. <coughs> but I'm rather enthusiastic about the possibility of your own discovering of that. So I think that's pretty much what I wanted to say for this uh, closing. And so what I'd like to do to finish is that we have a short meditation together, wishing loving kindness, extending loving kindness to all beings. But it might be useful just to take a moment for anyone or everyone who wishes, stand up, stretch, move. Just take a moment. We'll just be here another 15 minutes or so. So (laughs) if you can possibly avoid it, don't go away. But just let your body move, stretch, bend as it might wish to. And so beginning this last meditation together, settling into your body so far as you can, supporting your body to be at ease while engaged and upright. Maybe just taking a moment to acknowledge and appreciate the support of your body just in doing this meditation to have a place to come back to. So useful, so helpful. Maybe it's not always comfortable, but it's here, and it's always here whenever we come back. 
And we can just take a moment to appreciate this. This body, soft, tender, organic, living thing. And bringing our attention again into the region in the center of the chest. Feeling the movement of your breathing through the heart center. And taking a moment also just to appreciate this beating heart that's sustaining you. And all the things that support your heart to be pumping. The blood that keeps us alive the oxygen that nourishes us and the lungs that draw that from the air. All of this, the music of organic life, keeps playing. At least for so long as we are here. That's what happens. And taking a moment to appreciate the goodness of your efforts and your endeavours in bringing yourself here, in staying here, and practicing as you have done with courage and commitment, with patience and perseverance, with kindness and compassion. And bringing into this space of caring, of friendliness, of kindness, those beings that we are close to, that we care for. Our family or friends. At least those of whom we feel close and connected to. Children, parents, partners. siblings, cousins, comrades, friends, fellow journeyers on the path, whoever it might be, beloved pets, whoever it might be, revered teachers, whoever it might be that we love and care for who care for and love us, bringing these people here in our hearts into the space of friendliness and warmth and wishing them well in their lives, their journeys. And including also at this time all the beings who are in situations or circumstances of difficulty. Just allowing our hearts to open to those who are hungry at this time. In need of food and nourishment. May we wish for them they have what they need. Every day, 
every day, including today, 40,000 infant children die for lack of food and clean water. And there is no lack of food and clean water, but it's just not there for those who need it. And if we could make that different, wouldn't we do so? So wishing for those who are hungry, they may have food and nourishment. For those who are thirsty, they may have water that's clean and safe to drink. And for those beings who at this time are subject to violence, to danger, to fear, to exploitation or discrimination, May they have safety and protection. May they be honoured and supported. And those beings who are lonely or sad, may they be comforted. May they find kindly companionship. And those beings who are in good states, who are fortunate and well, enjoying well-being, may they continue to be well in their lives. And may they be moved to share that wellness and good fortune with others around them. So bringing into the space of our hearts Anyone we know at this time who maybe is needing some support of our heart's well-wishing and wishing well for those beings. Anyone we feel moved to or who we just simply like to include right now that maybe we haven't touched on. Bringing them in. Perhaps friends or people long forgotten or not recently remembered. Just taking a moment to acknowledge or honour them. People far away that we've never known or met but that we're aware of and their difficult circumstance. Bringing them into our hearts. Bringing them into this field of loving kindness. And allowing our hearts to open, to overflow with this warmth and friendliness. To move out from this space here in this hall to touch the creatures who live around us at Gaia House and throughout this country, this land, this world the creatures who fly, who crawl, who walk, who wiggle, who swim, who burrow, those with legs and wings and scales and shells and 
all the creatures of this world, may they be safe and well. May they live in ease and at peace. And including all the all the women of this world, all the females of this world, may they be safe and well, protected, respected. And including all the men, all the males of this world, may they be loved and cared for, protected and respected. And all those, neither males nor females, may they too be loved and cared for, protected and respected. And all the children, the young ones, the infants, the little, the little ones of this world, may they too be cared for and loved, protected and respected. All those beings who are different, who feel different, who are seen as different, in any way or form or shape, due to race or colour or sexuality, ethnicity, religion, political or spiritual views or practices, or in any other way, May all these beings be loved and cared for, protected and respected. And all the beings who we know and know of, equally those who we don't know or don't know of, those that we love, that we cherish and care for, those who we find difficult or challenging or disagree with or just don't like, may these beings too be loved and cared for, protected and respected, allowing our hearts to be as wide open as this world, and allowing the kindness at the very centre of our being to flow out, to touch all the beings in the vastness of this world and beyond, in the vastness of this universe and beyond, through all time and space and beyond, through all realms conceived and all realms unconceived and unconceivable. May this loving kindness touch all beings. And may all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be healthy and well. May all beings be free from pain and suffering. May all beings live with ease and with joy.
May all beings be cared for and loved. May all beings be protected and respected and all of life besides, in all its forms, in all its expressions, the whole of the manifest manifest world of existence. May all beings in all forms and shapes and types, with bodies and without, those living now and those who have lived in the past, who may, those who may live in the future, those beings at this time being born or soon to be born, and those beings at this time dying or soon to die. May all beings everywhere live with loving kindness. May all beings everywhere live in peace. And may we all, in our own ways, allow our lives to be a support for and a contribution to this well-being for ourselves and each other and for all beings. May this kindness and caring of our hearts grow and be known to touch all hearts of all beings, of every living thing. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in freedom. May all beings live with loving kindness in their hearts. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.